WGNS Murfreesboro, W270AF Murfreesboro, W263AI Murfreesboro, Smyrna. The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Your host, J. Paul Newman of the Monthly District Attorney Show, will now take you on a journey to explore recent Rutherford County court cases, cold cases, and more. We welcome everyone to the program. My name is J. Paul Newman. My co-hosts today are Rutherford County District Attorney General Jennings Jones and Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. We thank WGNS for providing the airtime. And we also thank our producer, Scott Walker. Most of all, we thank you for listening. To begin the broadcast in our Inside the Court segment, Rutherford County Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch will tell us all about recent and upcoming grand jury, general sessions, and circuit court activity. Then, in our Call to Conviction segment, I will discuss the 2018 murder of 26-year-old Caitlin Irvin. My guest for that discussion will be the lead detective on the case, Detective Sergeant Steve Craig of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. And we will wrap up the broadcast with Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch, who will discuss an area of the law that dramatically impacts on our community in our ever-popular What's the Law segment. We will begin the broadcast after you listen to these important messages. We are broadcasting from the Middle Tennessee Electric Studios. Middle Tennessee Electric, your power supply since 1936. This is Inside the Courts. A look at this month's trials, pleas, and grand jury action. Inside the Courts is presented as a courtesy of the Rutherford County Clerk's Office. Good morning, listeners. This is Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch, and today I will be your tour guide through this episode of Inside the Courts. We begin this segment by stating that none of the defendants named in upcoming trials or hearings have been convicted, and of course, they are presumed by our law to be innocent. With that prelude, we will now go inside the courts. Presently in our General Sessions Court, the matter of Candace Davis. On the sixth day of October 2022, officers with the Laverne Police Department were dispatched to a residence on Almond Place in Laverne, Tennessee. In response to that shooting, the lead, uh, the, the, in response to the shooting that led to the death of the homeowner, Robin Taylor, Detective Tanner Noakes has been assigned as lead investigator. Ms. Taylor's sister, Candace Davis, was on scene when officers arrived. After initially claiming an unknown subject shot her sister and ran away, Ms. Davis later changed her story and claimed that her sister attacked her and she shot Ms. Taylor in self-defense. Upon conclusion of Detective Noakes' investigation, and in light of the evidence collected on scene, it was determined that Ms. Davis was not justified in shooting Ms. Taylor. She was subsequently charged with second-degree murder. 
This matter is currently set in the General Sessions Court for Rutherford County, and the next court date is scheduled for today at 1 p.m. The defendant is represented by counsel, Mr. Thompson Kirkpatrick, while the state is represented by myself, Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. In the matter of State versus Jeffrey Burris, on July 6, 2022, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to a residence on Panther Creek Road in response to a shooting. After receiving a 911 call, deputies discovered the body of Mr. Clarence Rowden. Mr. Rowden had been shot multiple times. Witnesses identified Jeffrey Burris as the shooter. Mr. Burris was located and found to be in possession of a firearm. Mr. Burris was taken into custody and interviewed by law enforcement. Detective Kyle Norod has been assigned as lead investigator. Upon conclusion of all interviews and evidence collection, Mr. Burris has been charged with the first degree murder of Mr. Rowden. Mr. Burris awaits his next court date of November 7, 2022 in the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County. Mr. Burris is represented by counsel, Mr. Josh Crane, and I will represent the state. In State versus Keanthony Williams, on August 30th of 2022, officers with the Smyrna Police Department responded to a shooting at a gas station on Sam Ridley Parkway. Mr. Nicholas Patterson had been shot during the course of an attempted robbery. Mr. Patterson later died as a result of his injuries. Surveillance video showed an armed subject enter the store, point the firearm at Mr. Patterson, fire at least one shot into the ceiling of the store, and then shoot Mr. Patterson before running out of the store. Detective Steve Hanna with the Smyrna Police Department has been assigned as lead investigator. As a result of the two other as a result of two other robberies, one in Brentwood and one in Nashville, Mr. Anthony Williams was identified as a suspect. Upon execution of a search warrant, Mr. Williams was taken into custody and found to be in possession of a firearm. Mr. Williams was interviewed by law enforcement. By law enforcement. At the conclusion of the interview, Mr. Williams was charged with first-degree murder, attempted aggravated robbery, and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Mr. Williams is being held at the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center and awaits his next court date of January 3, 2023. Mr. Williams is represented by counsel, Mr. Ben Wetzel, and I will be representing the state. In State versus Maceo Boyd, Tevin Campbell, Paul Turner, Martavius Guy, and Tybricia Lattimore. On December 4th of 2020, officers with the Mercerboro Police Department were dispatched to an apartment complex on North Rutherford Boulevard, Boulevard in reference to a shooting that resulted in the death of Mr. Montavious Jones. Mr. Jones was left laying in the parking lot of the apartment complex. Detective Chris Pate was assigned as lead investigator. After the shooting, Mr. Maceo Boyd was located at St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital as a result of a gunshot wound. Surveillance video footage showed Mr. Boyd being brought to the hospital by Mr. Tevin Campbell and Mr. Paul Turner. After a lengthy investigation that including interviewing witnesses, obtaining cell phone records, social media records, and expert witness reports, Detective Pate charged Mr. Boyd, Mr. Campbell, and Mr. Turner, along with Mr. Martavius Guy with first-degree murder, attempted especially aggravated robbery, conspiracy to aggravated robbery, and employing a firearm during commission of a dangerous felony. Mr. Guy's girlfriend, Ms. Tybricia Lattimore, has been charged with conspiracy to aggravated robbery and facilitation to attempted especially aggravated robbery. Mr. Boyd is represented by counsel, Mr. Art Quinn. 
Mr. Turner is represented by counsel, Mr. Casey Little. Mr. Guy is represented by counsel, Mr. Ben Powers. Ms. Lattimore is represented by counsel, Mr. Jeffrey Jackson. And Mr. Campbell is represented by counsel, Mr. Michael Offinger. The state is represented by myself. A preliminary hearing was held on August 8, 2022 in the General Sessions Court for Rutherford County. These cases were bound over by the court and await presentment to a Rutherford County grand jury. Also pending grand jury, State v. Apollo Cantrell. On April 24, 2021, officers on patrol heard shots fired and responded to 1621 Middle Tennessee Boulevard. Officers found Mr. Sakur Ali, who had been shot and later died from his injuries. Apollo Cantrell was identified as a shooter and fled the state. Detective Richard Presley of the Mercerboro Police Department has been assigned as lead detective. Through cooperation with the state of Iowa, Mr. Cantrell was apprehended. He is presently incarcerated at the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center on charges of second-degree murder and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. He is represented by counsel, Mr. Will Fraley. A preliminary hearing was held on February 7th of 2022 in the General Sessions Court, and the matter was bound over to the grand jury. State versus Larry Johnson. On February 6th of 2021, officers with the Mercerboro Police Department responded to a shooting resulting in the death of 21-year-old Giovanni Gillis at a residence on Ewing Boulevard. Detective Cody Thomas has been assigned as lead investigator. Upon conclusion of Detective Thomas's investigation, Larry Johnson has been charged with first-degree murder. Mr. Johnson is represented by counsel, Mr. Michael Flanagan. The state is represented by myself. Following a preliminary hearing in the General Sessions Court on May 5th of 2021, the case was bound over to the Rutherford County Grand Jury and awaits its presentment. Currently set for trial, State versus Brent Ross. On the 26th of June, 2019, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to a residence on Walnut Grove. Mr. Terry Barber was found deceased on the floor with his hands and feet bound together. Lead investigator Detective Steve Brown has charged three individuals, Devin Gailey, Brent Ross, and Bernice Ferrer with the first-degree murder, especially aggravated kidnapping, aggravated robbery, aggravated burglary, and fraudulent use of a debit card. Following a preliminary hearing in the General Sessions Court, the cases were bound over to the grand jury in June of 2020. A grand jury returned a true bill against all three defendants. Devin Gailey was represented by counsel, Mr. Luke Evans. On January 20, 2022, Mr. Gailey entered a plea of guilty to felony murder and especially aggravated kidnapping and received a life sentence with the possibility of parole and a concurrent 25-year sentence. On March 24th, Ms. Bernice Farrow was found guilty by a jury of her peers for first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Ms. Farrow was later sentenced by the court to an additional 25 years. Mr. Brent Ross awaits trial. He is represented by counsel Mr. Michael Jones. Trial date is scheduled for January 23rd through the 25th of 2023. I will be representing the state in this matter along with District Attorney General Jennings Jones. In State v. Brian Berry, on the 30th day of April 2018, the Laverne Police Department responded to George Buchanan Drive in response to a shooting. Officers 
I apologize, office, uh, emergency personnel responded and the victim was identified as a juvenile and transported to Vanderbilt Hospital. The victim died from the injuries. The victim's younger siblings were present at the time of the shootings. Detective Ryan Huggins with the Smyrna or Laverne Police Department was assigned as lead investigator. It was determined that the victim was attempting to buy a cell phone that had been advertised on social media. At the conclusion of the investigation, it was determined that Brian Berry and Marques Hughes lured the victim to that location with the intent to rob the victim. During the course of the robbery, either Mr. Berry or Mr. Hughes shot the victim. The defendants have been indicted for first-degree murder, aggravated robbery, and conspiracy to commit robbery. Brian Berry is represented by counsel Mr. Russell Nixon. I will be representing the state. The next scheduled court date is November 8th of 2022. This matter is set for trial to begin February 13th through the 17th of 2023. Finally, Yo Sincere Fomfon. On June 8th of 2020, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to a shooting on Summertime Drive. While en route, deputies observed a vehicle matching the suspect vehicle description leaving the area. A traffic stop was conducted and deputies took a driver and Yo Sincere Fomfon into custody. Deputies observed and recovered an object later identified as a firearm being thrown from the vehicle. At the scene of the shooting, deputies discovered the body of Mr. Thin, Wynn, sitting in the driver's seat of his vehicle. Mr. Wynn had, been, had a single gunshot wound to the head. Detective Sergeant Ty Downing has been assigned as lead investigator. Upon interviewing witnesses and collection of physical evidence and execution of search warrants on electronic devices, Yo Sincere Fomfon was charged with first-degree murder, attempted especially aggravated robbery, tampering with evidence, and employing a firearm during commission of an offense. This matter is currently set for trial March 20th to the 24th of 2023. The defendant is represented by counsel, Mr. Will Fraley, and I will be representing the state. That concludes our look on Inside the Courts. Thank you. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Hello, this is Amanda from Animal City inviting your family to come do business with my family. All of us at Animal City would like to say thank you to the Murfreesboro and surrounding communities for supporting this family-owned business for 32 years. When you come see us, make sure to check out our two full floors full of great pets and supplies to keep them happy and healthy. Animal City, for your dog, cat, reptile, bird, and much, much more. Animal City, 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Broadcasting to every nook and cranny of Rutherford County's 618 square miles. FM 100.5, 101.9, and AM 1450. Here's a question. What do you want from your electric co-op? Fast response if the power goes out. An app that keeps me informed. Tips to lower my monthly bill. Communication on things that matter to me. Done, 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 done. I want to know everything. Everything? Well, young lady, let me show you the MyMTE app. Energy Service Life. That's Middle Tennessee Electric. We're here to get done what matters most to you. Learn more at mte.com. Hi, this is Peter Demas. Join our family at Demas's Restaurant. So many people buy so many different things. You know, I go out to eat and I like eating steak. 
where my wife will end up getting our salmon. Our salmon is cut fresh, so she loves our salmon. It's one of those places that you can go, you can get pastas or chicken, you know, the kids love it. Get what you want at Demas's Restaurant and not be limited just to one or two items. Join our family at Demas's Restaurant, 1115 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Good morning. Plenty of THP units scattered up and down 24 this morning, not just as you head towards Davidson County, but also towards Montego Mountain. Give yourself a little bit of extra time down I-24 this morning. Pretty busy over here. Uh, certain sections of Las Cassius Pike, 840 still looks good as you work your way uh, towards I-24. Ripley's Gatlinburg, your one-stop destination for family fun. Check out the details now at ripleys.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your Hi, this is Gator with traffic. Tire World Off-Road. We're your local rough country dealer. So when when you're ready to add some character to your rig, ask for Gator at Tire World Off-Road on Memorial Boulevard. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street, online at tireworld.us. We are broadcasting from the Middle Tennessee Electric Studios. Middle Tennessee Electric, supplying the Good Neighbor Station with power near the historic downtown square. Middle Tennessee Electric, proudly powering your community. We welcome everyone to the program. My name is J. Paul Newman. On our Call to Conviction segment, we will review a case that sent shockwaves through the community of Rutherford County, Tennessee. It was the murder of 26-year-old Caitlin Irvin. Caitlin Irvin was the daughter of Rutherford County Commissioner Steve Irvin. With us today to discuss this crime will be the lead investigator on the case, Detective Steve Craig of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. From call to conviction, time now for a look back at one of the more intriguing and important cases for this community. From the crime, the investigation, to the prosecution. On the afternoon of February the 27th, 2018, at 4.43 p.m., Rutherford County Commissioner Steve Irvin called the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. The purpose of his call was to report that his home had been burglarized. When the Sheriff's Department arrived, they observed that the home had been completely ransacked. Commissioner Irvin reported that several items were taken from the residence, including two firearms. Other items taken included jewelry, a Rolex watch, an iPad, a TV, and a safe. The largest item taken was a car, a gray Ford Fiesta. But the most important aspect of the case was that a family member was missing, and that family member may have been in the home when the burglary occurred. That family member was 26-year-old Caitlin Irvin. The Irvin residence was equipped with video surveillance. When law enforcement viewed the video, they discovered that the Irvin's Ford Fiesta had left the residence at 2.15 p.m. that day. Numerous and frantic efforts were made to reach Caitlin Irvin by calling her cell phone, but every attempt was unsuccessful. The Rutherford County Sheriff's Office investigation team, which was led by Detective Sergeant Steve Craig, 
continued to process evidence and follow the leads. Then, six days after the burglary, on March the 5th, 2018, a major and tragic discovery in the case came to light. The murdered body of Caitlin Irvin was found in a smokehouse in a rural area of Rutherford County. The next day, March the 6th, 2018, medical examiner David Zimmerman performed an autopsy on the body of Caitlin Irvin. Dr. Zimmerman determined that Caitlin Irvin's cause of death was a gunshot wound to the head. Because of the circumstances, Dr. Zimmerman also collected a rape kit, which was delivered to the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation Crime Laboratory for processing and DNA analysis. From all of the interviews and processing of evidence, a suspect was developed. That suspect was 38-year-old Ellis Bell III. Over the next 300-plus days, Detective Sergeant Steve Craig and his team continued to investigate every aspect of the case. After multiple meetings reviewing his case with Assistant District Attorney J. Paul Newman, Craig was ready to present his evidence to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. In January of 2019, Detective Steve Craig presented his evidence against Ellis Bell III to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. The grand jury indicted Ellis Bell on numerous felony charges related to the kidnapping, rape, and murder of 26-year-old Caitlin Irvin. Due to conflicts of interest, specifically that Caitlin Irvin's father was the director of the Rutherford County Probation and Recovery Services Program, and that he was also a county commissioner, all of the Rutherford County Circuit Court judges recused themselves from the case. To further avoid any conflict of interest, the bail case was assigned to Judge Brody Kane of Lebanon, Tennessee. It was also determined that all of the legal proceedings would remain in Rutherford County, with Judge Kane traveling to Murfreesboro to preside over the case as a special judge. The defendant was represented by Rutherford County Public Defender Gerald Melton and Assistant Public Defender Ben Wetzel. The state was represented by Assistant District Attorney J. Paul Newman. On February the 28, 2020, Judge Brody Kane scheduled the trial of Ellis Bell III. It was scheduled to begin on January the 25th, 2021. But before that date arrived, tragedy once again struck the Irvin family. On April the 9th, 2020, Caitlin Irvin's father, Steve Irvin, passed away at the age of 66. His wife, Deborah, related that her husband had died of a broken heart. Due to various legal procedures and significant delays, that were caused by the COVID-19 virus outbreak. The court proceedings moved slowly. In September of 2020, Assistant District Attorney J. Paul Newman retired from the Rutherford County District Attorney's Office. 
the murder case of Ellis Bell III was then reassigned to Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On Thursday, May the 6th, 2021, with the COVID pandemic in recession, Ellis Bell III appeared in the courtroom of Special Judge Brody Kane. Bell had decided not to go to trial and chose instead to enter a negotiated plea agreement. With the mother of Caitlin Irvin present in the courtroom, Ellis Bell III pled guilty to the reduced charge of second-degree murder for the brutal execution-style killing of Caitlin Irvin. Bell also entered a no-contest plea for the rape of Caitlin Irvin. Pursuant to the plea agreement, Judge Kane sentenced Ellis Bell III to serve 40 years in the Tennessee Department of Corrections. To tell us more about the murder of Caitlin Irvin and the arrest and successful prosecution of Ellis Bell III is Detective Sergeant Steve Craig of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. Before we delve into the case itself, I would like for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and especially what motivated you to choose law enforcement as your profession. Thank you for having me. Where I grew up is I'm just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is where I was born. We moved to Middle Tennessee when I was about six years old. We have lived in Middle Tennessee. I grew up in Nashville and I ended up graduating high school from Brentwood High School and I'm still working on my bachelor's degree let you know how green I was, I guess, when I started. What I wanted to do is I wanted to help change the world for the better when I started in law enforcement. I think I've scaled it back a little bit now and just maybe if I can change the world for the better for one family at a time, I think you know, I'll call that a success. Detective Craig, my summary was quite brief, but I would like to ask you a series of questions that are designed to tell us more about the investigation of the kidnapping and murder of Caitlin Irvin and the arrest and conviction of Ellis Bell III. Detective Craig, can you kind of give us a summary of what you actually think happened based on the evidence that you collected that resulted in the death of Caitlin Irvin? Yes, I believe that the day that this all happened, it either Caitlin had gotten home and he followed her inside of the house because he was already in the neighborhood or he was inside of the home and Caitlin walked in on him. From there, he took her to the smokehouse where he killed her and then he went back to Nashville, stopped by his friend's house and then ended up being taken into custody by Metro a little bit later that night. According to the autopsy report, Miss Irvin died as a result of a gunshot wound to the head. Were you able to establish the caliber of the gun and how Ellis Bell obtained that firearm? And was that gun ever recovered? Yes, we were able to establish the caliber of the firearm. It was a 45 caliber firearm. We recovered the casing at the scene. After he left the smokehouse, he did go to a car wash and ended up cleaning and washing the car. I believe he got rid of the weapon that killed her there at the car wash. We didn't learn that until two weeks later, so we weren't able to recover that weapon. As far as him obtaining the firearm, I would say he probably stole it or traded somebody else for it. He didn't obtain it legally because he had already been prosecuted for being a convicted felon in possession of a weapon. In your investigation, at any time did you ever believe there was any reason to believe that Caitlin Irvin was able to defend herself during this episode? 
Not at all. Like I said, she either walked in on it or he walked in on her. She was completely taken by surprise, and he had a weapon that he probably displayed to her fairly immediately. I don't. I don't think she had a chance at all to help herself in that. Was there any relationship, either good or bad, that existed between Caitlin Irvin and Ellis Bell the Third, or was this a random act of violence? This was completely random. They didn't know each other at all. Ellis Bell would typically, from what I learned throughout the investigation, was he would use an app on his phone to try to find areas of town that had higher-priced houses, and that's how he would choose to pick his targets to burglarize. As the investigation went on, you learn more about what his motives were and, and what his methods were, and there was no connection between the two of them at all. Several items were taken in this burglary. Were any of those items recovered? And if so, what role did those items play in building a case on Ellis Bell? There were multiple items taken during the burglary. Uh, just to name a few, a TV, a holster for a weapon, a weapon itself, two weapons actually, multiple pieces of jewelry and watches. And what some of those things did was, as we learned where he went from the time he burglarized the house until he was detained by law enforcement, it almost left a, a trail for us to follow. He, he left a couple of pieces at each place, and we were able to end up recovering you know, TV, watches, gun, holster, jewelry, all of those things ended up helping us lead to what the story was and what happened. What was some of the evidence that unerringly pointed the finger of guilt at Ellis Bell? Well, there were multiple witnesses in the neighborhood that day. They took pictures of him walking around the neighborhood. There was one other residence where he attempted to break in. We sent Detective Brinkley back to that residence to try to process that window where he attempted to break in, and we recovered his fingerprints from that window. Obviously, the vehicle that he was in, he had the weapon that he'd stolen from the home that day, and we ended up recovering property that I mentioned before, the TV, watches, jewelry, holster, all of that, and the DNA. Those were the main pieces of evidence, I believe. And was there any specific time when you realized that, without any doubt, that Ellis Bell killed Caitlin Irvin? Yes, it would have been when we discovered and we'd sent off to the TBI lab for the DNA from the vehicle and for the rape kit during the autopsy. And when his DNA came back on both, I, I knew that we had our guy. We certainly do not want to forget about our victim, Caitlin Irvin. Please tell us about Caitlin Irvin. Caitlin was described as being the um, joy and the entertainment of the family. You work with a family for several years, you, you get bits and pieces of what it's like to be a part of their family sometimes. And I would say the joy that she brought to that family is what they miss the most about her presence being there all the time. She, she was just kind of the glue that held everything together from what I understand. And she had a large family. I mean, she had multiple siblings. Her parents, Steve and Debbie, and then the siblings, Erica, Meredith, Jason, Candace, and Tori. It's just a large family that just a very loving, faithful family. What can you tell us particularly about her mother and father? Well, Steve ended up being a county commissioner here, serving the community, and before he passed. And Debbie, bless her, she, she's had to endure so much. And I'm not sure I've ever met a stronger woman than her. She's completely amazing. She's she's full of grace and, and full of love. And for her to go through what she's gone through and then say in the impact statement what she said to Ellis Bell, 
and she referenced that she prayed for him every day. And to be honest, it brought a tear to my eye because I, I don't know that I could be that, that graceful in that moment. Detective, this was a devastating case for the family. No one expects to have to bury their daughter. Certainly no one expects their daughter to be kidnapped and murdered, and then to have to relive the events by attending court proceedings. And in being in the same courtroom, mere feet from the person who killed your daughter. Tell us about the family's strength and how they found the courage to not only cooperate in the investigation, but to also attend the court proceedings and all of the events leading up to Ellis Bell III pleading guilty. I can't imagine what all they went through, the sadness, the hurt, but they endured. They kept believing in faith. They kept believing in justice, and they kept believing in me, and we got to where we needed to go. And I just I thank them for their patience, and I, I thank them for their belief in me. We want to thank you and the other members of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office for the excellent work that was performed in bringing Ellis Bell III to justice. Broadcasting from the tallest tower in the city with that little red light on top. FM 100.5, FM 101.9, and AM 1450. My grandmother and Ms. Adams were best friends. I mean, she said, Betty, you need to come to Adams' place. You'd love it. We're talking with Betty Kirksey. They go above and beyond of what their job is. I wish Miss Adams was still living so I could tell her, you were right, it is where I should be, and it's very nice. <laughs> I'm Terry Deal. Call me for more information about Adams Place, located at 1927 Memorial Boulevard, across from Walmart. At Heritage South Community Credit Union, we help when others won't. It's what our members tell us we do every day. The older model car that you need to get to work? Yeah, we've helped with that. The HVAC unit that suddenly needs to be replaced? We helped with that. Repairing your credit. Yes, we've helped with that. How about a second chance at a checking account? We've even helped with that. Experience the Heritage South difference. Learn more at HeritageSouth.org. Insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. CapstarBank.com. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. What's the law? Time now for an examination of the laws of Tennessee. This is not intended to be legal advice and is being presented solely for the informational benefit of our listening audience. You should always consult with an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to this episode of What's the Law? By now, many of you have repeatedly heard the term preliminary hearing, but you may not know exactly what that means. A preliminary hearing is also called a probable cause hearing. That is in reference to the burden of proof upon the state. In Tennessee, a defendant that has been charged and arrested by a warrant issued by a magistrate or judicial commissioner is entitled to a preliminary hearing within 14 days of their arrest if they are still in custody or 30 days from their arrest if they are released on bail or their own recognizance. However, most defendants will waive that right in order to obtain an attorney and allow their attorney time to prepare for such a hearing. 
The purpose of a preliminary hearing is for the general sessions judge to hear proof presented by the district attorney's office to establish probable cause to believe that a criminal offense has occurred and that the defendant committed such offense. Now, a preliminary hearing is held in a similar manner as a trial. The state is permitted, but not required, to give an opening statement to the court. The defendant is also given the same opportunity. However, it is common practice that both sides waive an opening statement. It is rare, if ever, that I give an opening statement to the court, even in a murder case. The reason being, the judge, having been a practicing attorney, does not need me to explain what it is I'm about to present. Opening statements are most beneficial to a jury to give the jury a better understanding of what to expect to hear. The next step in the hearing consists of the presentation of witnesses. The state will call any witnesses it deems necessary to establish probable cause that a crime was committed and that the defendant committed it. At this stage, I will call witnesses to establish the essential elements of a criminal offense, but I will not call all the witnesses I would call at a trial. I'm not attempting to prove the guilt of the defendant. I will only call the witnesses I need to establish probable cause. In a homicide case, that would include the investigating detective. I would also call any eyewitnesses to the murder. The state will question witnesses in the same manner they would at trial. And like a trial, the defense is titled, entitled to cross-examine any witnesses the state's call. The rules of evidence and the rules of criminal procedure apply in all but very few limited aspects of the hearing. The most prominent being the state can introduce reports from experts without being required to call the expert as a witness. In homicide cases, you can expect reports from the TBI, Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, and from the Office of the State Medical Examiner. It is common practice to introduce photographs from the crime scene of the evidence, and that has been, or that has been collected from and by law enforcement. After the state presents its proof, the defense is allowed, but not required, to present any proof it wishes to the court to consider. However, it is rare that the defense presents any proof at this hearing, one of the biggest reasons being the defense will not want to tip its hand at this time as to what, if any, witnesses and what it would call and what they would testify about. An experienced defense attorney will use the preliminary hearing as a means to gather as much information as possible before the formal discovery process begins, meaning most defense attorneys will not object to what may ordinarily be considered inadmissible evidence at that stage in order to learn more about the state's case. The most common example of this would be hearsay. Hearsay is an out-of-court statement offered in court to prove the truth of the matter asserted in the statement. So if a witness tells an officer what they saw, the officer ordinarily would not be allowed to testify about what that witness told him. But an experienced attorney will want to know what any witness told the officers, so they will not usually object to the officer testifying about such statements. As, a, as I said, the defense usually will not present any witnesses at a preliminary hearing. So the next stage of the proceeding would be closing arguments. The state argues first, outlining for the court the facts presented to the court establishing probable cause. The defense then is entitled to make its argument as to why the facts do not support a finding of probable cause. Then the state is entitled to respond to the defense's argument. The decision to make a closing argument varies from case to case. It is not uncommon for me to waive my initial close and submit the case to the court without argument. I will do this when the proof presented to the court is very clear and uncontroverted. However, if the proof I present is limited and I have concerns about how the court may apply the facts of the law, I will take that opportunity to argue to the court the state's position on how the facts should be applied. If I decide not to make an initial closing argument, the defense is still entitled to argue to the court. However, 
If the defense elects not to make a closing argument, then the state does not have the opportunity to make a second closing. You see, the state's second closing is restricted only to those matters addressed by the defense. So if the defense does not choose to close, there is nothing for the state to respond to. Finally, the court will make its ruling. The judge will decide if the state submitted sufficient proof to establish probable cause that a crime was committed and that the defendant probably committed it. If the judge finds that the state has met its burden of proof of probable cause, the court will bind the case over to be presented to a grand jury. The grand jury is comprised of 12 citizens from the county and a grand jury foreman. What if the judge doesn't find that the state presented sufficient proof? What happens then? The judge will dismiss the case. However, unlike a trial, if the judge dismisses the case, the state can still, can still present the case to a grand jury for their consideration. Therefore, most of the time, the defense does not make an argument to dismiss the case. They will simply submit the case to the judge without argument. You see, getting the case dismissed in General Sessions Court may not benefit the defendant at that stage. That is because if the case is dismissed at that stage and the state then presents it to the grand jury and the grand jury indicts the defendant, the defendant would then be rearrested and most likely be required to post bail a second time. Additionally, preliminary hearings must be electronically recorded by the court. That recording is made available to both the state and the defense at the conclusion of the hearing. And that concludes this episode of What's the Law? We are broadcasting from the Middle Tennessee Electric Studios. Middle Tennessee Electric, your power supply since 1936. As we end our program today, we thank our producer, Scott Walker. And we thank WGNS for providing the airtime. And we thank Sergeant Steve Craig from the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. Most of all, we thank you for listening. Our next scheduled broadcast is Friday morning, December the 2nd at 8, 10 a.m. on your good neighbor station, WGNS. We leave by saying, a safe community is the responsibility of each and every one of us. For my two co-hosts, Jennings Jones and Trevor Lynch, this is J. Paul Newman, bidding all of you a safe and blessed day. The District Attorney's Office thanks you for listening to today's program. If you have any information regarding criminal activity in our community, please contact one of our law enforcement agencies. The information presented on today's show is solely for informational benefit and not intended to be legal advice. You should always consult an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Rutherford County's most trusted name in news. Talk Radio WGNS, Murfreesboro.